We gotta get okay. you some more monitors. Not gonna lie. Three's great. Three sounds nice. Although I will say it kind of started hurting my neck from the second monitor. Like I'm actually kind of throwing something out. Um, so I guess I'm getting old is what I'm trying to say. Hey! hey. We are two sisters. By marriage. Who love to talk about stories. From writing fiction and creating elaborate plot lines in D&D. To throwing some serious chaos down in the middle of a Dungeons and Dragons game. We're out, out of, of initiative. initiative. Today we have a very special guest, friend of the show, our first guest, actually. I'm super excited uh, to welcome friend of the show, uh, Kyle. Hello, I'm Kyle. I've been in the campaign with Morgan and with Sarah for two years. It's been over two years. I think. I think so. Oh my God, is that right? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Pretty insane. But I play a character named Senka in our codename Plushies campaign. And then I play another character, Ollie, in our Icy Hots campaign. So the plushy campaign uh, started as Waterdeep Dragon Heist, and I I don't like modules. I like the chaos. Uh, so I've moved us fully into homebrew. I started calling them plushies because everyone picked a character that I kind of wanted a stuffed animal of. Uh, and then our other campaign, Icy Hots, run by my husband Isaac, uh, is Ice Spire Peak, but we couldn't call it Ice Spire because this group is real freaking horny so they're just hot for each other so we just call them the icy hots um and the both groups have a lot of chaos and i wanted to talk today a little bit about um chaos from the player perspective and from dm perspective and specifically how to bring chaos into your game or your story without like ruining everyone else's day i just have a quick question before we get too far i have never asked you kyle if you played D&D before you joined our group. So I had very little experience playing Dungeons and Dragons. Like a lot of people, I started out with Dungeons and Dragons with Critical Role. I watched a crazy amount of it, uh, the full first season before I ever even tried it myself. Um, so I also, I did have a very short uh, campaign where I DM'd, but uh, quickly fell apart. But As I, many I, games do. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then I was in a work campaign with Morgan. Um, How we met. Yes. And uh, after that, we uh, ended up moving into our campaign. So collectively, three years? How long have you played? Three years? Four years? It would have been 2019, so it's it's probably just maybe two and a half years total. Okay, okay. Well, I have to, I have to admit that you know so much about D and D in just that short amount of time. It's amazing. You're like my go-to person if I need like I don't know how to build this character. Is what does this feat do? Like, so. That's amazing that in just a short amount of time. I'll second that so much. Are you like yeah. rules minded yeah. in general, Kyle, or do you do you think that it's just D and D you love it and that's why you know the rules? I part of it was that watching so much Critical Role, you pick up the rules just inherently. Uh, so I learned a lot of the rules that way, and um, once I started actually playing, 
I would get really, really invested in characters and try and learn everything about them. So uh, I think it's a combination of those two, honestly. But. So in relation to the rules, uh, as far as like the chaos going, what are your thoughts about alignment? I I really... That's a big debate, I feel like. Yeah. I, I don't like the how narrowing it can be having a set alignment i think for me personally having a really detailed backstory and like understanding my character i think it's way more important to for me to focus on what my character would do and like what their personality um how that would influence their decision making um rather than trying to stick to a certain alignment so yeah that makes sense yeah yeah i get really bent out of shape when people are like um but these creatures are aligned xyz or these this character is aligned a certain way no it's a paladin it has to be like we were talking about this sarah a a while ago when we were talking about old versions of D &D, how like if you were a paladin you had to be lawful good you had to like you didn't have an option hate that yeah hate that yeah yeah so it's it's nice now I think that you can be more flexible and who you know who you want to play and and going back to having just a backstory to guide you more than being like pigeonholed by your you know chosen alignment or your character's class or whatever. Yeah. So speaking of backstory and letting backstory drive, uh Kyle talk to us a little bit about You've got these two characters that both really embrace chaos in super duper different ways. And I want to talk a little bit about Senka first because there's juicy stuff that comes with that. And I'm excited to have you both on the call today to get to it. Um, (laughs) But talk to me about like Senka's chaos uh, and also like in your mind what works and then what friction points you've had to kind of shy away from uh because i think that we have had some of those but ultimately like the chaos is like the most fun to me yeah so senka uh for those that don't know he is a tabaxi bard um i started out with him i wanted to keep some of the natural like cat type behaviors you know, the chaos that ensues from that. Um, but also, he was so young when he, like, originally he's from the Feywild, and he was very young when he came to the Prime Material Plane. So that ignorance and um, not fully understanding a culture that he didn't grow up in, um, I think... Um, kind of sets a stage for him having these ideas of what's normal and uh, where it might seem chaos to the individuals around him. He's like, this makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> so, And we've talked a little bit about him, like, again, like the culture shock from coming to the Feywild and the Material Plane. Some of that came with the like, I don't know what the laws are here. I don't know what the rules are here. I don't even know how stuff works here. So that sort of like experiment and then react. And he... Uh, I mean, I think you can speak to this a little better, but Senka really pushes boundaries and then like, oh, got it. That's where that line is. Now I, now I know. Um, and that sort of uh, reciprocity, like, I think really brings a lot of dynamic uh, growth to the character periodically. Yeah. Um, I think part of 
building any kind of chaotic character um, is putting being able to put your character in situations that um, inherently are going to cause character growth and character development because in the very beginning Senka is this very chaotic and just he'll do whatever he wants uh, he grew up in a village that he could kind of get away with whatever he wanted so now that there's consequences for his actions he's kind of slowly learning you know what's it, what it's like to be in a normal society within our is it Faerun? yeah Feel we're on yes. Faerun. so that's it's it's been a really interesting journey for him i i don't like characters that are two-dimensional so having senka grow with his experiences has been really important to me and having those really impactful character development situations is it's super important for me as a player when you're talking about like experiences like i know from playing in the campaign and different sessions and stuff are can you think of any time where it felt like you almost went too far with Senka or or you made a choice that played out better in your head than actually what happened? Um, and then if you could think of one, what you did to kind of correct it or if you could even correct it. I think something where I felt like I almost kind of went too far was when we were originally in Waterdeep, we got access to a a magical item called the Stone of Galore and Senka thought he had a great plan with it he thought he could accomplish a lot with it uh, so he stole it and for those that don't know the Stone of Galore has a very powerful entity trapped within it and um, it's not always gonna be super forthright with the information um, so he tried to steal it from the party uh, and he ended up getting chased down by his party members uh, and shot once. Maybe that once. was the first time you tried to steal it. I thought you were talking about more recently when you stole it. Uh, yeah. That's that's right. That was. I Was it like a non-lethal? I feel like they were just trying to stop you. Well, there was a an arrow that went through his shoulder. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. From uh, the, one of the players, Waldron. And so. I would like the rules lawyers out there to know that I do. I'm the DM for the session, and I recognize that you cannot uh, do non-lethal damage with a with a ranged attack. You can only do non-lethal. Rules is written. I would allow like pulling punches. Like I would allow like some wiggle room in there, but like technically. You call non-lethal and you fire an arrow, and if it does enough damage, it does enough damage. Um, yeah, it's not like you can slow an arrow down. You know, it has to reach. Yeah, <laughs> it has to mm -hmm. reach where you're shooting at, so it's not like you can slow motion or something. Yeah, that'd be sick. That would though. make sense. That would be. It would be. Okay. Really cool. yeah. So, um, really, I'm just super impatient and would like to talk about speaking of experiences for Senka. I want to talk about him developing feelings for uh, the wrong people and then also possibly the wrong people. Hmm. So I thought originally it felt like the right person uh, in my defense 
Uh, if we're starting off with a character named Ella. Oh, I love her. My favorite NPC. Not my favorite NPC. I like all of them equally, but like, she's a good little NPC. She is. She is really good. Yeah. Morgan uh, brought her into the campaign as a means of familiarity for Senka. She was also a tabaxi from the Feywild and shared some of the same backstory um, plot points, I suppose. And he th- that familiarity uh, turned into uh, an attraction and uh, it was it was sad because he was too afraid to move on his emotions and like in real life she moved on and that was uh, that was a pretty rough go for him but uh, at the same time there was another character Zila that was interested in Senka and Senka had no clue whatsoever that she was interested in him he is very oblivious in that front so that was that was certainly an interesting situation for him Zila as played by oh uh, that's you Sarah that's you that's me yep that's me and Fun fact that Zila was probably the biggest thing she liked about Senka was his chaotic nature, his impulsivity, a little bit of his naivety. She kind of liked the innocence that he had um, just because he's in a new place and discovering things for the first time. That was kind of, you know, Zila's in her third century of life. And so it was kind of nice refreshing to be around someone that was um, just experiencing things for the first time. And she really liked that. So that was a big part of it. But yeah, definitely the the chaotic nature was appealing. (laughs) I think my favorite moment, though, was the turning point. So we have this turning point, speaking of just like leaning into the chaos, where... um, so Kyle, we talk about this a lot in our house. We think that you're a phenomenal role player and we really enjoy uh, like what you bring to sessions because instead of being like, here's the first thing I've thought of, it was like, here's what I thought of and here's what this character would do. And also sometimes there's this other layer, I don't know how your brain moves this fast, of like, oh, you know what would be really funny? And never like at the detriment of anyone else. You're always like, you're really conscious about like, y- like I know you two exchange a lot of messages with like, oh, I think my character's developing feelings for you. I don't know how my character feels about it. And, like, you guys had a lot of, like, um, consent discussions, which I think were really critical when you have, like, inter-party romance. Uh, But the, like, turning point was uh, Senka sending this message back to Ella and, like, finally mustering up enough to say that he was in love with her. But it was, like, as they were leaving town, it was, like, really way too little too late. And then, like starts to admit it and then backpedals and it came out as the most quotable quote from our games which is i love you friend uh and i will say from ella's perspective it did break her heart uh and then she moved on uh because you know we do and zila had to like listen to that she's like she had feelings for him she had to listen and i just it was like watching a drama i just where's my popcorn we record a lot of our games and i don't think we recorded that one no that was too early i remember Zila wondered if there was something going on between the two and we were all getting ready. The party was getting ready to leave. And she's like, hey, are you just going to leave your friend without saying goodbye? 
Like, and I think Zila, I purposely wanted him to say, you got to say goodbye, right? And then <laughs> to see, because I didn't know if they were just friends. And for a while, I actually thought they were like cousins or something. I didn't even know. Yeah, all Fate to Baxi um, related. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so then, yeah, that was that was a great moment. And kind of like, oh, okay. You were, I think you were on the cart. He was on the cart with everyone else. Like, as they were mm-hmm. driving along, mm-hmm. like, they're bumping along in the cart, like, heading out of town. And he's, like, having this really, yes. like, two os- <laughs> ascending stone in a ring. Like, having a really intimate conversation that ends with, like, him absolutely botching the landing. And everyone's like, ooh, buddy, yowza. I think... I think that's like peak D and D is sending messages in front of the whole party all the time. Like you never have privacy. You're having like private calls. It's it's always because you're always traveling together. You're always doing stuff together. So it's not you can like go into another room, I suppose. But yeah, it yeah. was it was looking just thinking back to that. It's like it's so funny that Zila kind of you know pushed it along the curator, yeah. if you will. And, uh, yeah, he, he was trying to express his feelings and just the whole, he said the I love you words. He was the first one to say it. And, uh, he backpedaled hard as soon as it came out of his mouth. It's like, mm-hmm. uh, friend. Ooh. <laughs> so, yep. He, he's an awkward little taco. That's for sure. He is. You know who's not an awkward taco, though, is your other character. Well, he's kind of awkward, too. Um, In, like, a totally different way, though. Uh, Ollie, from our other campaign, um, is a totally different type of chaos. Talk to us a little bit about that, how we built that character and uh, how you bring chaos with him. Yeah, so Ollie, he is a human blood hunter, and he... With every character that I make, I I bring a little bit of myself. Uh, <laughs> it makes it a little easier to, to roleplay. Um, he's certainly my stubbornness and competitiveness. Uh, just exempt, like, really turned up a notch. Uh, but essentially, our backstory was that we had a really rough childhood. Um, my sister, Morgan. Oh, yeah, that's me. Not in real life. Not in real life. <laughs> but in character. Uh, we, she was inherently born with magic. She was a sorcerer. And Ollie always resented that. And he spent his entire life trying to be as powerful as he can. So it's kind of the... I started it off as like wanting to do one of the min-max builds. But then I wanted a real story reason for why he was doing it. And he went all out trying to get as much power as he could. Out of, mostly now, out of jealousy. He's more than just a blood hunter. He's a water bearer also. So you've got that added into the mix. Yeah. <laughs> and what is it when we get in sometimes fights he'll he'll like lose control or what exactly is that so that happens? With as a part of the blood hunter class, you can go for the path of the lycanthrope or something of that nature basically you're a were creature and he part of the class features is if you're under half health 
you can potentially go into a frenzy and attack the nearest target. Uh, and I've really tried to lean into that as a story <laughs> piece because I think it's amazing. And he it just would love to fall on his sword at any given moment to show how good he is. <laughs> so. so are you looking forward to the day you attack another party member because of character growth or oh. is it just <laughs> we talk about this a lot because yep. i we play do. i play a yeah. sorcerer his sister and i have like 24 hit points at level five looks like the squishiest thing i think i got insta killed in like the first session like as a low level, like yeah. the Zurin, yeah. the Goliath fighter got in there and like pulled a thing and like an explosion went off and it like instantly killed her. She like didn't make the save and then it was just done. And like we had to do some like, oh, well, you know, a thing happened and fix it because like so uh, from the DM perspective, chaos, like a player making a poor choice and ending up in a situation where they get themselves killed is like kind of on them, but another player making a choice, like not realizing something's trapped, like gen like he genuinely was not trying to hurt anybody. He was just like, cool, a shiny thing, I'll pick it up. And then like my character dies in like session one or two. That's the kind of chaos that's like that no one was having fun at that point. Like there was a moment of like, well, shit. Uh, and you know, Isaac, the DM was like, okay, let's find a way to fix this within the parameters of the rules. And we made it work and it, and it was great. And nobody felt like he hand waved anything. Um, um, I can't remember if she fully died or if she was just bleeding out. I think she was just bleeding out. Yeah. But as far as character death goes going forward, um, we've had a couple of conversations about how I secretly really love, not secretly because I'm saying it on the podcast right now. I kind of love the idea of Ollie going into a blood rage and accidentally killing his own sister because I like the, tr the trauma, the, the drama, yeah, yeah. everything. It would be so good. And like, I love this character. I don't necessarily want her to die, but if she was, it'd be really funny if it was by her brother, the werebear. That'd be great. It'd make for good story. It is a good story. <laughs> and there was a point where Ollie was having dreams and one of the dreams was him seeing a floating body in front of him and it was his sister. And that's what pulled him back out of the rage and uh i think if ollie ever killed his sister uh i genuinely don't know what he would do at this point i think some of the best role playing happens when i'm not expecting it uh, and when i'm just completely winging it and uh i think it, it would be a really sad but I think there would be a lot of development that would happen from that. You've so. talked a lot about like in general, just like a uh, greater, broader conversation, not necessarily just today about how character development is like character growth is something that's so fundamental to you. Do you come to a character and say like, okay, here's where Ollie started. Here's where I want him to end. Or do you go in and say like, let's just see where this takes us. I roughly, I know I want him to grow and these are his fault, his flaws or his faults. I think there's no end goal in sight for Ollie. I think he expected to die dozens of times growing up, so he no longer really cares about death. Um, his I, own, his own death. Yeah, his own death. Uh, <laughs> or most people, other than his sister. But that's a different 
different story. I think he's attached to Ruby the cleric because the cleric could bring, as played by Sarah, uh, I th- because the cleric could bring Saf back if she dies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ollie definitely has a weird relationship with Ruby. Uh, it started out as fear because uh, Ollie is not the nicest individual. Uh, Plus the uh, werebear thing. Yeah, the eventual werebear thing. And uh, I, th- <laughs> I think back to the chaos, I suppose. Um, it's just, I think he just wants to be as powerful as, as possible. I think he'll do anything for more power, um, partially from p- the competitiveness, but also because I don't think he ever wants to be weaker than anyone. I don't think he wants to anyone to be able to take advantage of him or his sister i think he wants to be able to take on anyone that he comes in contact with so so in regards to him having no fear of dying personally as you're playing him i would feel like he would take more risks right not checking for traps and doing things that would put him in more danger do what at what point do you feel like it's starting to not make it fun for the other characters. Like if you're running through a dungeon and he's just running and triggering all the traps and people, you know, the rest of us are running from a firewall and a boulder, like stop. Yeah. (laughs) And he is just reckless. What, I mean, what kind of caps that for you? What would you kind of hold back on that? So that moment kind of came pretty recently. Uh, He, Historically, it always gone 100, 150 feet out, trying to make sure there weren't threats, clear out the path as needed, because we were going on rural pathways. Um, and believe it or not, it bit him in the butt. So he, there was an ambush. He was alone, nearly died. And not that he necessarily cares about him dying, but... Uh, putting everyone else at risk and not being able to save his sister, his party, kind of snapped it into him. So instead of 100 and 150 feet, it's like 30, 60. So he's still in earshot while we travel now, which is nice. I like that. (laughs) So I know. Yeah, I know that's a big fear of mine, too, when I'm playing is getting somewhere cornered or pinned and the rest of the party has to catch up and puts them in more danger because of my action and my choice. And Do stuff. you mean so... like that time Ruby ran into a temple by herself? <laughs> the, that one time. That one time. That one time. There were like so many monsters and... in there and you just got whaled on. I personally feel like the more I played D&D when I first started I was very very cautious and it, not just because I was low level but just because I'm going to be careful I'm going to inspect every room I'm going to just take my time and, and now as we play more and more, I'm like, I don't care. Let's just go. Let's just go, go, go. And we'll deal with it later. And um, at certain points, that kind of comes back to get you, though. And so you kind of have to be mindful of that. Do you um, feel like... It's kind of a balance. Do you feel like Ruby has uh, taken on any of uh, Ollie's recklessness just by <laughs> sh- exposure? Osmosis? I think, I think as her power is growing with her deity she's getting more bold and she sees the rest of the party 
Um, and besides just Ollie, I mean, we have just like strong fighter group and they're all so just amazing in combat. And so she is kind of, I need to do this too. Like, and, and it's making her more brave, but she definitely like can't withstand this like they can. So um, just have to think different combat strategy wise um, to not get squished. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I think she's just, I think she's just growing more bold and that kind of thing. But she definitely stops and thinks about things a lot more than Ollie does. Um, <laughs> but I feel like a lot of times during the game, we're, we are, we're chasing Ollie or we're, you know, he's up ahead and we're trying to catch up to him and stuff. And, um, which is fine. And because it pulls us along a lot faster instead of being so careful and kind of getting bogged down that way. Um, but yeah, I feel like it's a balance and it could, I mean, if you had the wrong person, the wrong character doing stuff that would get, that would get old real fast. If you're having to go into the forest and bring their dead body back and revive, and revive them. them. The like, okay, yeah. I'll put this diamond on your tab. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That would get old. So I think, yeah, you just kind of have to find, a, you know, a midpoint for that. And Kyle, you're pretty good about like checking in and being like, hey, like, haha, uh, that was really chaotic and wild, right? And is everyone still enjoying this? He's still a lovable chaotic dope, right? Not ruining anyone's fun. And like, I think those check ins are really critical. Yeah. And I, I think it, it can be harder with Ollie, who's just more abrasive. Uh, He's a moody so boy. I, <laughs> he is a moody boy. I try to gauge with him i gauge more just on people's reactions and if people seem to be getting irritated around that i'll take a step back and you know what are some indicators that you notice so i mean a lot of it's nonverbal, honestly i i'll watch people's faces and uh as like for example i was 120 feet out and people seemed frustrated you know Ah, Ollie's out, and he's getting destroyed. He's going to get himself killed or whatever. I'm like, all right, well, maybe we uh, tone it back. And now he's, like I said, 30, 40 feet out. I think having, you know, we play over over the internet and having the video on, you do get a lot of that subtlety, so you can kind of tell if, if something's gone a little too far. Um, but you, it's just, it's good to be mindful of that, too. Um, in my case... I, when I was playing Ruby, when Ollie was out of eyesight, when he would like dis, you know, the, the road would bend and he'd be out of eyesight. I, that made me nervous um, because who knows what would happen. And, and it's a dangerous force. Like we know there's stuff going on. And so I think at some point you finally did stop going quite so like, if you couldn't see us anymore, you would stop and kind of wait and that kind of thing. So um, yeah, that was that was good yeah <laughs> I, and like i think f there's another aspect to that in that you know if i trigger combat combat then it's just me fighting all these things and nobody That's true. else gets to have fun yep. you know in the combat yeah. so um there's that aspect of as well it's like combat's one of the things that a lot of people find really entertaining uh myself included so um i don't want to deprive other people of their experience with their their characters so so i feel like we've talked a lot about 
kind of the bad side of playing a chaotic character. What do you think are some good good things? Morgan too. I mean, what do you think if you have a character that has that kind of nature, what are some good I think aspects you can get? That the story impacts can be so interesting and exciting. Uh, some of the RP uh, elements um, that can be really rewarding for me because it's it's just so much fun to just so for example we recently just met uh, Zila's ex-fiance uh, and part of the chaos was that Senka went in and had a little chat and looking back at that um, recording like it was so much fun to just be able to completely wing it he didn't know what he was going to say going in but he knew that he was going to be angry uh, because Senka did not know that Zila had a fiance ex-fiance I don't think anybody knew what <laughs> Senka was going to do going in I didn't as the DM I was just like oh what's he going to do like oh my god what are we going to and... react to yeah, and he so often disguises himself or does uh, beat a bard. He does a lot of illusion stuff. And I was like, oh, he's going to trick him. He's going to do, you know, I'm just, we're all waiting to see how it was going to unfold. So, and it was a different side of him too that I don't think any of us had seen. Because he's just, um, yeah, he's just usually so fun and happy and that kind of thing. And to see him serious and, and intense was, it was it was quite enjoyable to watch. That whole interaction uh, was, I think, Kyle, you and I talk about this all the time, the like the yes and, the improv, yes and or no but, which are like your best friends as a role player in a chaotic campaign, a chaotic environment, or as a chaotic character. Um, and I'm using that term really broadly. I don't think that everything chaotic has to be like really extreme. But you kind of, you wandered in, you sidled up to this guy who was the ex- fiance of your current i don't know like are they a thing are they together officially it's complicated okay. i don't think we really label <laughs> oh good they don't yeah. like a label we're not quite at that point i think <laughs> yeah well there's so. some distance between you currently so i guess that's probably a a challenge but he sanka walks in to the metery and uh I in the moment I was just like I don't have anything scripted I don't know a ton about this character except his connection to as a backstory element from Zila so I'm like I've got some to work with but when you're when you're as a DM when you're working with a character from someone's backstory there's um some parameters that you try to stay within right like I don't want him to suddenly be like a murderer of children because like he didn't write that in and then I'm kind of <laughs> taking your character and running with it in a way that's like not cool like that sucks no one wants that but you know i want to be i want to react i want to like engage in the situation so senka comes in and he came in really hot he came in hot man he came in like listen here bud you're gonna you're gonna lay off and you're gonna move on you better drop that hit you've got against her or else you said it way cooler than that i'm making you sound um but yeah you came in and and it was really intense and it was um it's really like adrenaline fueled and kind of exhilarating to have a role play interaction with someone even through a screen where you're like okay he this is really heavy and this character needs to respond in kind and like what are what are the dynamics it's just a really fun like kind of interaction that we that we got to have yeah and i think that kind of leans into when you're playing characters like that your dm 
if your energy's here, your DM's got to match your energy or they just run all over you. And so I think that really comes down to the table that you're at and that kind of thing, if it's a good fit. Because, yeah, when you literally don't know what your players are going to do, even more so with some players, the, um, you got you to gotta be ready. Um, but I liked that interaction because he did so much like persuasion and he did like some deception and I mean, lead into that charisma that he had. And it was great to see that side um, of him. Yeah. He's a bard that rarely uses his persuasion. He doesn't see himself as a leader, so he doesn't uh, try to talk himself out of stuff too much. But it's when you really get to flex on flex on that, because I there's like a plus eleven to his persuasion and deception. It's ridiculous. Uh, it's it's a lot. So it's it's really fun to be able to work with the tools that are you're really good at. Uh, not me, but my character. Maybe a little bit me, but... <laughs> There's one yeah. other interaction that I wanted to bring up, which was flipping kind of, uh, you know, uh, to more recent... I, I, I guess this was actually a couple sessions ago with Senka. Um, stole the Stone of Galore a second time. Uh, just before, I guess, like one random side note that I think is super fun as a DM, you and I talked at the very, very beginning of everything and you, you, we made some adjustments to your, uh, class abilities and they gave you a uh, face step, like Misty step that I think the Eladrin have as a default. And then we removed, uh, uh, an ability from your race to kind of compensate for it. Um, and we had agreed that on like a certain percentage or higher, people would see a glimpse into the Feywild, right? And then we, ooh, that's, we know where he's from. Well, this has been going on for two years now. Like everybody's seen into the Feywild while you miss your steps. But we had also discussed that on a 100 roll, so you'd need to roll a percentile. I love having to roll random stuff in the middle of like combat. On a roll of 100 with your Misty step, that he would not only open a glimpse to the Feywild, but actually step through the portal. And we were like, how random, like, that's the most chaotic thing we could come up with. It'll never happen. And then in the middle of combat, fighting your snot girlfriend's ex-fiance, he rolled that 100. And like, like you're saying with story, like, it was such a good story moment for everyone to just watch him vanish. And like, they don't know why. Uh, the players understand what happened. They understand the like, mechanic of what the interaction was. Um, but for the characters to just like, not know what's going on was so cool it was so interesting and fun and the timing with the story oh too. yeah like you just, you couldn't yeah. you can script it better you could not script it better no. so no flipping a little bit uh, you know a few days backward after he stole the stone of galore from isaac's character baron um baron was really angry about this and isaac and i talked a lot before the session like how did he, how does he want to react and um what is isaac who is not as um improv experienced of a player like i think he's a great role player but he also builds characters who like you're saying kyle are close to who he is as a person uh so they're easier to play uh, he's pretty reserved, he's pretty mellow, and he's ending up with this character in a position where something was stolen from him that he was put in charge of, and he's angry. And we talked about, like, what are the signs that he's going to give me as the DM to say, I'm actually uncomfortable with this fictional conflict, I don't want to have it anymore. Um, there was some of that discussion beforehand, and then in the moment, he started to, like, really, like, play off your energy, and, like, he was angry, and he was so frustrated, and we, like, why do you keep abusing our trust like this? And you guys had this, like, really great, like, fully in-character, like, 
argument that was so fun to watch and I, Isaac walked away being a person who does not like social um, interactions that are negative like that. Like, he doesn't like conflict in general. I mean, I don't really either. Uh, and he was like, that was so cool. Like, it was so nice to kind of experience that in a way that I don't normally do. And I'm just wondering, like, from your perspective, were there things leading up that um, you tried to keep in mind to help keep that interaction in check or cues that you were watching from that very deadpan man's face uh, to try to understand when maybe you'd overstepped? So I knew that Baron would have felt really hurt by it, and I was trying to keep an eye out for Isaac as well. Um, I think Sinka felt like it was more important to try this thing than it was to break the trust. Uh, he has a mentality of ask for forgiveness, not permission. Um, and in his ignorance, he made a really brash decision and um, as the longer he had it the more he was starting to regret doing it uh, he saw he saw the connection with the party growing and that their trust was increasing with him and he just, he was starting to feel bad. He he told on himself and is like, hey, I did this thing. But he also waited to attune to the Stone of Glory before he told them. <laughs> so Quite a move, quite a move. Yeah, it's like, I'm going to apologize, but I'm also going to wait till I do the thing that I want to do before I apologize. And um, he felt, I think... I th Everything is, is um, improv for me, for the most part. Um, so I will wing it, especially with Senka. I feel like I have to with him. It's really hard to script things for him. Um, and I don't recommend it as a player. Unless you have something specific you're trying to say to someone, I don't really recommend scripting interactions. It just comes off as like really forced, and, and it's never very good. Yeah. The most I'll do is having like ideas that he wants to bring up and focus around that but I, I won't write it like a script or a, a speech <laughs> like unless it's like a really specific situation i should clarify like a monologue right is acceptable yeah. like uh i i need to tell you about this thing that happened in my backstory and i don't know how to say it and you know that the character's gonna be full of a lot of emotion it makes sense to kind of like run that a little bit on your own or like make some bullet point no notes but like trying to script an interaction between two characters or script how you will respond to something um it it, it can feel really hollow yeah absolutely that's kind of like with zila revealing shit a fiance I knew in my head how it was going to be revealed when it came up. Um, and it was great because when it was first kind of brought up um, who this person was and why we need to go see him, um, she didn't say who it was. They were bad and they were coming after her and we should go get them. And everyone's like, yeah, let's go do that. And then like, as we're traveling, I was like, wait, you don't even know who this person is. And no one even asked. 
they were just like, oh, she hates Zila. She used to work for her. Like, they didn't push her. And so it was great to kind of drop that as we were already committed and the whole party was on its way. Um, that was that was great. Um, but what I had planned in my head was not how it went. And that's just, I think that's just part of the fun of it. You got to be prepared to flex for sure. Yeah, definitely. It was fun because uh, to that point, Senka fully trusted Zila. He had no reason not to. I know and everything then, about this person. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> and when he, when that came out, he's like, oh, just another person I can't trust. And for the listeners out there, Senka stole the stone from Baron, breaking his trust. And within the same session, Zila admitted this and broke his trust. So it was it was just like this domino effect of everybody revealing the secrets they've It's kept. just, okay, so. but like the piece that's like the real clincher here, and this is where like our writing friends would like, okay, take some notes. Um, and I actually see it in the background, Sarah, of your of your video. There was a moment mm-hmm. when the Stone of Galore originally came into this party's um, grasp and Zila attuned to it. So she like, you know, connected herself with it so she could ask, um, you know, get this like knowledge hungry creature uh, like to answer some questions. And the for legend. Lore, yeah, legend. Lore. Right? That's legend lore. Yeah, that's the word. And the side effect of this is the creature may periodically ask to be given to someone else who has more information. And if you don't uh, listen to her, and I kind of gendered the Ableth because I thought it was funny. Um, So she's just like this sassy lady who like is not taking any shit from anybody, uh, which I think is the way you should play all Ableths, actually. Um, And uh, the the detriment was if she... um, tries to take over and you fail a charisma save, then you are kind of controlled by her. But uh, if you want to unattune from it and like kind of distance yourself from this, this like hungry creature, then uh, you had to spend like an hour. Basically uh, you couldn't blind. It was if you were, if the stone is more than 10 feet away from you, you go blind. I think it was eight hours. That's right. Um, It was a very, it was, pretty bad it's a pretty bad one i'll um, pretend like it was yeah. a random roll but i think i rolled it and saw it and it was like this is perfect um so <laughs> zila is trying to like distance herself from the stone and has lost her vision temporarily and uh sanka gosh did you like and you're also overwhelmed by the need to get it back yes. so she was blind and like kind of possessed almost to get it back and uh, the whole party is like trying to keep her <laughs> calm and settled until it breaks the the attunement so and then Senka did he I can't remember how we even came to the conclusion that we landed on are you talking about like what spell he used or what yeah he, he used um was it phantasmal so force phantasmal force because it appears in the character's mind is based off of the wording of the spell so it doesn't necessarily say that they need to be able to see. So he created an image, uh, seeing how much it hurt Zila, um, and how she felt like she failed, and all these like negative emotions that she was feeling. Senka used this spell to express that the party's here, the party's got your back, the party's here for you. And it was this image of all the party members kind of 
coming in and giving her a hug and, you know, just being there to support her. It was, it was a great moment. Yeah. So when we had the art commissioned, I wanted that kind of in there. It was great. So cute. And then they were happy for a little while and then they all betrayed each other's trust as we spoke earlier. Um, And I just love that we came full circle. It was like bad and then good and then bad again. And I can't wait to see what happens next because I'm, I'm sure it'll be really chaotic. Uh, In relation to the stone of galore, as far as from the DM's perspective, giving magic items how much are you influenced like do you think of a magic item be like kyle or senka or ollie or you know would really like this or this would be bad to give to them it's about i mean how much it's like 50 50 i think for me so that particular item is sorry spoilers uh involved in waterdeep dragon heist uh and um, you, the party like comes upon it that way, and then you guys just kind of kept it, which I think is both a risk and a boon. Um, and then sometimes like magic items is like you guys will ask for something, and I'm like, well, that seems reasonable. I've got the same magic prices uh, PDF that I just kind of have on speed dial at any time. So when you guys are like, oh, what magic vendor do they have X Y Z, and I'm like, that's not unreasonable. They should have a superior healing potion. Here you go. There's a price. And with markup, of course, because, like, they've made plenty of money. Um, although I do recommend throwing a Draculich at the party who threatens to kill them all unless they give up a bunch of wealth. That was really fun uh, for our in-person session back in June. Um, anyway, I'm, I'm off track here. But it's sometimes I, like, I'll be looking through that sheet when you guys are like, a magic vendor, I want some stuff. And you'll write out some things off and then the group will be like, hmm, what do we want? What else? You know, shopping's always kind of a little bit tedious. And I'm skimming through the list and I'm like, ooh, that would be really fun. I know what that item is. I think that he should have, I think you guys should have access to Sovereign Glue um, because that'll be ridiculous. Although that one I actually picked because Senka wasn't there because I was like, Senka would want that because Kyle would want that, but I'll throw it out there and then no one will end up buying it because he's not around. Uh, And then Zila in her heartbreak was like, oh, I think that he would like this and he's not here right now. I should just buy it for him. She dropped like 400 gold on the song. Sovereign glue, yeah, which I think is so ridiculous. funny. She would, I, if she was in her right mind, she would never spend that much money. But she's just so forlorn and heartbroken and everything. So she's like, heck yeah, I'm gonna buy this because I'm gonna see him again. I promise. I swear. And it was so much money for that. Glue. You guys just made like 50k off a of Fight Club. Like I think you're fine. I'm killing your ex fiance. <laughs> Uh, so the other component though is I do also love to do custom magic items for the party and that's like in talks with each individual player. Um, I have an idea of what their character is about. I also think that like most people come to a D&D game and they want to be a hero and I think everyone wants to be like special. Um, and I really lean into that in our groups. Isaac likes to run a, a group that's, he likes to run his campaigns that are more like, these are just n- like normal people with some gifts and they need to become extraordinary by the end of the campaign. And I'm like, no, these are extraordinary people who have to come to terms with what they are. So that's kind of a fun dynamic, but I've like sort of custom made, um, I think Waldron's item is like my favorite one. And, uh, so basically like he has the ability to like move between planes, uh, and then they called it the Walker of Worlds. And he's got this like cool bow that has like, at first he had just the arrows and they were a void arrow, which is, um, an item that I had like tweaked from the Griffin saddlebag. Uh, and then that grew into a bowstring that he restrung his bow with and then the bow broke and then the 
shadowy version of the bow emerged and like it was just kind of like a really sick like um matt mercer does the uh like awakened exalted like the three-tier uh magic items and i just thought that was like really super fun and so i kind of mapped out like the trajectory of what i wanted your guys's items to do and then had a sort of rough outline and then as the story is going i just sort of modify like oh they've kind of taken a different route like if uh waldron decides that he wants to go hang out with the harpers then we'll pivot a little bit and then his item will change or his character will change or like you know like something will happen so like senka's item solrish the dagger uh like I had a vision originally and then like he kind of changed a little bit. So then now the magic item changes, but I, I really like to, that's what I like to spend my time on as a DM in terms of prep, not any of the important stuff like the maps or the enemies or the voices or no, none of that. Just the magic items. Do you, do you feel like if you ever gave uh, one of the players, like you homebrewed a magic item or you found this magic item and you felt like they were abusing it or they weren't using it the way you wanted, you would ever, go back on that somehow make it break or i mean do you feel like it would just be what it is good question i think because sometimes i do um brew things a little strong um we've got a couple things working for us here which is first of all sometimes the items are so strong and when i give it to you i'll be like hey this might be broken so let's touch back in after you've used it a few times and then if we need to tune it a little bit we can i will use waldron again as an example like uh his bow was supposed to the arrows were supposed to do the regular d8 from the long bow and then an extra d10 but the way it showed up in D beyond was like really complicated and like not working very well so i just changed it to 2d10 because that was just easier um and he's a rogue and they don't get a second attack so it makes more sense that he would have a big hit and a and the sneak attack dice and then like when he wants to do a big hit that's what he's got um as far as tuning it back down though like or more forcing it to break i don't think i'd ever do that instead what i've done is um just give you guys way too many magic items and then everyone forgets that they have them and i can be like i gave you everything you want what i don't understand I'd be curious to know how many parties are out there like that, where their bags are just full of stuff and they forget, forget what they have. Because I do that routinely. And, oh, I do have this. And, oh, yeah, that know. tattoo communicates with my deity, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I should probably use that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, it's funny with Silrash, is going with magic items. Um, the thing I use the most isn't his attack. Uh, he can uh detect thoughts and uh yeah i've definitely used that so much and it i mean it, it just it's so much fun to to add little things that just add nuance to your character and um make your character that much more unique you know and what they can do and i think you've done a really good job of that morgan Oh, thanks. That's really nice of you. I think detect thoughts is a really um, difficult one for me to have thrown in there because sometimes we'll be like, what's that NPC thinking? What are their surface level thoughts? And like, that's a lot of stuff I didn't have to think about uh, until just now. But it kind of it challenges me. And I think that that's really fun. So give us real quick, like two or three tips for a player on wanting to add a little more chaos to their to their character whether their back sheet or just in their day-to-day play. So I think the most important thing is making sure your party feels comfortable with your chaos and checking in with your party. Um, I think 
have a general idea of what you want to do, but kind of let the story and, you know, environment kind of mold that a little bit. Um, I think the dice can play into that, too, (laughs) to add, yeah. It's a game of chance, right? So Mm -hmm. I think those are two, like, primary things to keep in mind when trying to because it, it can be really easy to step on people's toes and at the end of the ga- day we're all trying to have fun we're just trying to play a game absolutely it's all about having fun yeah this has been fun uh and chaotic and i uh of course as always sarah thank you for being here and kyle thanks for joining us today hey thank you for having me it's been a lot of fun uh I would love to come back. Yeah, well, um, yeah, well, I'll, oh, yeah. we'll look into it. I'll, I'll yeah. figure it out. Yeah, yeah. we've, oh, we've got your number. Yeah, well, yeah. our like, people, people reach out. Your people, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You get it. You yeah. get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I hope you all can keep the chaos in your life, and you know, in a in a reasonable way that's uh, that's ex- accepted by everybody. Um, we have been out of initiative, but we're going to get back into it. So get out there and roll some dice and make some chaos, man. And we're going to see you next time. Bye. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Thanks for listening to Out of Initiative, a podcast from Merely NPCs. For more from Sarah and Morgan, visit MerelyNPCs.com or follow them on Instagram at MerelyNPCs.